0: What's up, guys, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Throws Chat Podcast. Just want to make a quick announcement about the Throws Chat Black Friday Cyber Monday apparel sale. Be on the lookout this week for huge discounts on shirts, crewnecks, hoodies, leggings, and more. For more information, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Throws Chat. What's up, guys? This is episode five of the Throws Chat Podcast. We have Dane Miller on from Garage Strength.
1: Yep, we have Dane Miller on. Dane Miller is uh, my former coach from high school up through parts of college. He uh, runs Garage Strength, which is a gym in my hometown of Reading, Pennsylvania. Uh, basically, you can describe Garage Strength as having one of the most elite training environments in the U.S., possibly the world, uh, between his great throwers, weightlifters, and even football players and several other athletes that train there. Uh, we welcome Dane on. He Dane has produced... So many great throwers. He has worked with three Olympians. He's produced 11 state championships in the state of Pennsylvania in high school. He's produced nine NCAA All Americans. And he's produced seven world qualifiers. And three of those world qualifiers end up competing at the world championships. Thank you, Dane, for coming on. Thank you for having me. I am very excited. Awesome. So, Dane, you know, like I just described, we you kind of do a few, a few things. You know, not only with garage strength. Um, can you describe like some of the other uh, projects you've been working on because this isn't your first go around uh, podcast uh, you actually produce your own podcast which I have a great time listening to can you describe some of the other stuff you're working on uh, yeah I mean I, I've got
2: Yeah, I, I'm also owner of Muscle, a supplement company where we try and support um, sort of like the non-revenue sports through social media and you know, supplying them supplements and stuff like that. Um, I've got another supplement company called Holistic Encapsulations, which uh, we just started a couple months ago. We're sort of in the process of really developing that line. Um, let's see, I got Throws University, which I just started about two months ago or a month ago, and... That I'm really, really excited about because it's sort of leading me down a, a different path from a business perspective with with Garage Strength as well. And it's just, you know, along with <clears throat> everything I'm trying to do, I, I'm trying to get my brand out there as much as possible from Garage Strength and, and everything that I'm about and who I am and, and trying to develop, you know, revenue sources on, on numerous different levels to so that I can pay my bills, but I can also help, you know, post-collegiate athletes pay their bills and and support, you know, guys that aren't going to be, and women that aren't going to be signing, you know, lucrative contracts. So it's sort of, I do a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, I have, what, I've got world-level competitors in three different sports. I I wanted to throw in, because you didn't mention um, working with wrestlers, but I I am pretty Mm -hmm. proud of coaching Nick Wozdowski to a world bronze medal this year in freestyle world championships. So that's that's another th- you know another add-on with, with our resume here at Garage Strength and, and trying to develop a a very elite environment of training in you know a multi-
1: multitude of different sports. Yeah, so when I started with you, you were pretty much the first ever, you know, real coach I ever had for anything, I would argue. Um, you, you impacted my life to at least grow me into someone who's willing to work hard and continue to train to this day. Um, what kind of, I guess to start off, I was one of your first throwers. Uh, I was really bad. And uh, what kind of made you want to shift from, like, I guess, did you want to start by being a throws coach when you opened up Garage Strength? Or is it just kind of like people knew you in the community as a thrower? So it just kind of naturally shifted into that?
2: Uh, I. For me, it was, I knew I always wanted to be in the strength world, Um, and I knew, I did know that I wanted to coach the throws as well. I I, I did have that interest, you know, spending time with Dr. Bundertruck in Canada, that had a big, uh, very positive influence on me, and I, you know, I was intrigued by what he had done in his career, being around him, and how he viewed the sports world and when i came home and decided that i had to start a business to survive um i knew i was going to be into the strength world in the strength game but i and i i did know i wanted to be involved with throwing and i did know that i wanted to use you know what i had learned up to that point to develop as many you know high school athletes like yourself to become an elite you know to to work to the elite level of throwing. Um, so I would say I, I, I did want to be in the throwing world and I did want to be in the strength world, but, I, you know, I just, I've, I've always had that attitude, of like, just work and it'll play itself out and you just make smart decisions along the way and you make bad decisions along the way that you learn from and then you just keep progressing and or trying to progress. And I think that that's, I mean, I think it's come to fruition where it's like, I had a vision and I I eventually did want to make some type of training center and I didn't know how it was going to go down. But I, 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 along the way, I've sort of created a little bit more of a, of a vision and I, and I'm slowly working towards that now. So I don't even know if that answers your question.
1: Oh no, no, it absolutely does. Um, you said you speak about coming into fruition. Uh, I'm not sure how many people know you've kind of gone through different stages, um, Especially in your locations, um, can you kind of walk us through like what it was like to shift from where you first started, which maybe some people don't know about, to where you are now?
2: Yeah, I mean, Jason, when you started, I was actually only in half of the gym at my parents' house, so if, I
1: only had yeah, that, if that. Feet. <laughs> um,
2: Someone had showed me Joe DeFranco had posted on Instagram like the begin, like his beginnings, and although he and I have different training, uh, perspectives, he's somebody I do look up to from a business side. And I think it's cool because he, he was similar. He started in like a little closet. It wasn't as small as my, as my parents, but it was like, I had that like half of the garage. And basically my dad was like, okay, if you can get enough money saved up and you can build us a bigger shed out back, then, then I'll let you take over the whole garage. So I think that that lesson right away sort of taught me like okay if you work if you work hard and you save your money and you make good decisions then you can you know take over the whole garage and then the next 3 years I just worked and I saved my money again and then I helped buy the farm with my sister and her husband and and you know I was there on site at the at the old gym for about 5 years and and that's where a lot of the that raw hard work um, that grinded away environment was really, really developed. Um, and I I would say for me that that developed my attitude even more, but it didn't develop me from a business perspective as well as I probably should have let it. Um, Hmm. and then, you know, to set up just working into where we're at now, the location that we just moved to last April, we're, now we're at a 10,000-square-foot facility. We've got three different rooms. We've got uh, three shot circles, a discus circle. Um, you know, at last count, we had 17 Olympic weightlifting platforms. So it's sort of like it's it's coming along, and, it, and it's hard. And, and, dude, it's not, you know, it's it's not easy. You know, what I'm doing now is like, and that's the thing of having the vlog and having my blog and having my um, – podcasts and and trying to keep up with the programming and all that and you know trying to become a a a really successful entrepreneur while maintaining like i don't want to be like these other guys that that become straight up entrepreneurs and they make really good money and they might train like somebody in the wwe or one guy in the nfl a year like i want to be the guy who is super successful from the business side but is still like Guy, as far as uh, sports performance is concerned, and that's that's where my vision is now, and I and I'm I want to try and foster that here at this location over the next you know three to five years before we maybe potentially make another move or make another um, other go through another growth period. Really,
1: yeah, I think I me mean, that that's something I really appreciate about is because you know the goal in the end is to make money, support your family, but. What I like is you've always wanted to keep that core value of quality. Um, You never wanted to, uh, you know, stray away from, yeah, we might have to cut costs here, but at the same time, we need to make sure that our lifters, our throwers, our other athletes, football players, wrestlers, have the best quality training they possibly could have because you, not only for your namesake um, to promote yourself as a brand, but also the thing I liked about training with you was you just – the care that you've had for the athletes themselves, and you want them to see uh, do well. Yeah, and I, I think that that
2: I think what's cool with all that stuff is that my level of communication has improved dramatically. I would say over the last like two to three years, and I and I think that that's something that I relate to just understanding the bigger picture of sports and understanding the bigger picture of you know, being an entrepreneur as well, because I, I see, you know, help having people as a business owner. If I can have an employee, the, the better I communicate with that employee, the better they're going to do their job and the, the better the quality of our product becomes. And I think that that's something that I've taken from being a business owner into, into, you know, the sports world is that even with my coaches, with DJ and Jake and and Trevor and my wife, is that with Caitlin, is that my expectations? I communicate. I'm very upfront with now with what I expect, and I'm very explicit with how I want the process to go down. and I and I think that that's something that I've carried over into my athletes. Is that it's made me. You know, I've become a better coach because of that. I've become a better coach because I, I think a little more analytically. I, I view things critically as far as the technique is concerned. I view things more critically as far as the entire process. And I see what every little cog of the process can do if it's not rolling the way it needs to be rolling. And I think that the fact that I can communicate that pretty well and, and explain my expectations I think that that's you know that's created a, a good environment for my athletes where they know like the the quality's got to be there with every little thing you know and and they know that I care about it and they know that that's you know that's why I started EarthBed Muscle Muscles because I wanted to make sure my athletes were getting the best supplements and they wouldn't get pop you know from Usada or Wada and it's like that's the same thing with holistic encapsulations it's the same thing with what we're we're trying to do with throws you so it's sort of I don't know I, I think that that's just I think that has something to do with my upbringing. I also think it just has to do with the fact that I care about my athletes and I, and I care about every single person that walks in that door. I look at them as, a, as somebody that I can make a champion. You know, I mm-hmm. can have a very
1: positive impact on them. So. Would you say that you know, the, because you surround yourself with so many different sports um, regularly and you have to balance the coaching between throwers to weightlifters to wrestlers to younger kids to you know, basically normal people, Um, that's kind of improved your skills as, like, uh, just even a throws coach? Yeah, 100%. Is
2: that I, I I see stuff in weightlifting that I didn't see before because of the way I analyze a throw. I see stuff in throwing that I think about and I see feelings, and I know that sounds weird that you can see a feeling, but I can see something and feel it in throwing that, is comparable to weightlifting and I can see something in, and, and this, this, and this is, uh,
0: I want to pay this to, to quiz, Gwiz, to Gwizdowski is that something he's
2: taught me over the last, uh, a little more than a year that we've been working together is that there's parts of wrestling that are so similar to weightlifting and throwing even in, and then there's parts that are completely different, but the feeling and the movements, and explaining the movements in wrestling have actually helped me, you know, comprehend where I need to take him in the weight room, and then and then intertwining all those, and then and it, you know using my high school football team as an example too is like how I can come across and, and get them to understand the transfer of the training that we're doing and where it can be apl- where it can be applied on the field and how I can explain it to them and get them to have these feelings in the weight room and what the goal is. And if I can lay all that stuff out from all these different sports, but connect them through positive explanation and positive communication, then that that's going to lead to a better result. It's going to it's And that's going to be because of the, the greater buy-in. Like they have more value in me as a coach because I'm seeing it from their perspective as well. I'm not just seeing it from a strength coach perspective. Who's got a whistle and is blowing and screaming at them and calling them, you know, pussies or something I mean I still do that but I I do it a little bit more productively
0: and uh just as a quick follow-up to that what would you say is a better pair for throwing between wrestling and football because I think the common mantra is that you know football athletes usually throw in the off-season. but as far as throwers who want to you know get some extra work in outside of track and field season would you say football or wrestling would be a better pair for them um
2: I mean, it depends on the position, and and I mean, this this would be geared specifically towards men, obviously,
0: because I feel like there's not as many women in football. I mean, there are getting wrestling is getting bigger in the and for women. So
2: I would actually say wrestling for women is would be excellent just because of body awareness. But it, it's, I think if you were in the if you're in the upper weights, I think. I think wrestling goes really, really well on more than just the physical aspect. So the, the, the problem that these the people that say that, Myron, the, the problem is, is that they see things on the base level. They see it on the surface. They see it as like this, um, you know, oh, well, he, you get big, you get strong, you learn how to move something, It football's perfect. But the problem that they're not seeing is that it, like wrestling is a it's such a mentally grueling sport and so is throwing and, that, and that's where I think that we're failing a lot in the throwing world is that if we can take the attitude that Olympic weightlifters have and the attitude that even tennis players and the attitude that uh, Some of the best golfers in the world have where they're super arrogant because they put in the work and they put in that intensity and then if you if you look at from the wrestling world That's the biggest payoff is that if you get a wrestler who's a stud And he understands movements well, and he can slow down a match. If he can slow down a match, and and when I say slow down a match, I don't mean, like, slow down the pace. I mean slow down the movement. So, like, if you watch Kyle Snyder or Nick, if you watch these guys wrestle, and you can see where they're, they're, they see movement three three moves before they actually hit it. And that's the thing is that that carries over so well to the throwing world because you can get this out of your head, out of your – out of your brain and just let your body work and let that movement take over and that mental aspect too of competing as an individual and, and valuing that individual preparation it's so much greater than football you know a lot of the problems I see with the football guys is that it's easy to hide there's 22 guys on the field you know so it's like you know 11 on a side and you sit there and you, you know you can hide it's such a it's, it, it's so funny because it's always had this tough guy mentality but but what it is is a lot of it is is like these surface tough guys who are actually giant babies. they can't handle stress. they can't handle uh, you know they're the guys that get out on the mat and there's a spotlight on them and they shrivel up. They're the guys that get on the platform and, and everybody's just watching them and they choke. They're the guys that that get into the shot circle and they start crying about the circles being slippery or the shots slipping off their neck or they, you know, they're a little stiff. That, that's the difference is like wrestlers and, and other individual sports, they don't give a shit. They're the guys that are going to go out and they're going to compete in any situation that they can. They're going to train in any situation they can and they're going to make the best out of it. So I think, you know, and I say that mind that Joe Thomas, who's a starting left tackle for the Cleveland Browns and hadn't missed a start in what thirteen seasons, he threw with me when we were in the Big Ten together at Wisconsin. I say that and and guys like him are, are different. Like he he did obviously he's done really well in both both sports. There's gonna be good carryover from football, but but at the base of it all, I believe wrestling has a has a higher transfer just because of the mental the mental you know, strength it takes to be involved in a sport like that.
1: See, now that's an interesting perspective because when I was listening to your um, podcast that you did with uh, Noah Kennedy White, who was a former discus thrower at uh, Penn, you know, you guys got on the topic of, like, post-collegiate throwing. Do you think that there's, like, maybe kind of what you're describing, that if more people kind of wrestled or at least got in that mindset that maybe... (sighs) Because something I've noticed on social media, and you kind of brought this up in your podcast, and I won't you know, describe any posts or anything like that, but there seems to be a common mindset that of people wanting to complain about training alone and stuff like that and not having the support that they had in college. Do you think that, you know, that in combination that people are kind of lacking that mental toughness and individuality, and especially independence, that you could probably garner in other sports? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to Yeah, me to go, go, go into, into it, it man, go into it. <laughs>
2: uh, I, dude the first thought that comes into my head is like I I sit there and it's I, I my my vision is myself, Dylan Armstrong and, and Jesse Roberts training in late November, early December in Kamloops. The sun was going down at like three o'clock. Um, and it was, I remember it being negative 14 and, you know, throwing a shot that I kept in my car the whole day to keep it warm. And about halfway through, every time I would throw it, it would turn into this giant snowball and it was me, Dr. B, Jesse and Dylan. And we were just, you know, going to town, launching stuff. Um, and you know, what did Dylan do that year? Oh, that's not ideal. That's not a perfect. You know, facility to be training in is outside, negative fourteen. Blah blah blah. Well, that's not. You know, we're using shots that were just beat to hell and and not the best. The circles half frozen. Um, again, it was cold and and we couldn't we could barely see.
0: But what happened? Like Dylan got third at the Olympics. He pr.
2: Yeah, and he, he PR'd, And he's a twenty he's a twenty two meter shot putter who trained in that environment. And I think that that's the that's the overriding lesson is that even with talking with Dylan and, and his, his, what the training center had originally been in Kamloops was even significantly worse. And what Dr. B dealt with when he was in uh, the Soviet union and, and even to an extent of what, you know, we dealt with throughout the rest of that year. But then at, at my gym, at the original garage growing, you know, growing the business there where we barely had a heat source, we had a wood stove and, the wood stove heated it and then it would you know, when the stove would start to dwindle it would get really cold and then I'd try and fire it back up again and it's like and, and we were throwing outside, Trevor always talks about how we would throw outside and there'd be throwing into the snow and, and ice and all that, but we had, you know, a lot of really good results from that type of training. And so like the thing is, is like, yeah, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get that that like cushy Yeah, division one, rub your back, go to all the therapists that you need to, go to all the sports med that you can have at your fingertips, go to all the the other resources that the university's providing because their football team is absurdly successful. Like sorry, that's that's not gonna be there. But that's not gonna be there for the rest of your life. When you graduate, nobody gives a shit about who you are. Nobody cares. Like you're like you're in the real world. And I and I always say this. talking about as a parent, like, I want my children to grow up and be people that I would want to employ. So we have to raise each other, you know, raise our kids to be hard-nosed and have a really tough work ethic and deal with situations that are stressful. And I think that that's the biggest failure right now that I see in the throwing world. And I think a lot of that has to do with even the professional guys where they're like, oh, well." I can't compete at this meet. Like I can't go to U S indoors because blah, blah, blah. It's like, Oh, well then they'll sit there and they will say, Oh, well, Dan, you, you were never at that level. I don't give a shit, dude. Like you're, you're running. If, if you want to sit there and cry about like your, how you're not making that much money, like look at stuff from a business side. Like if you're, if you really want to make good money as a shot putter, you've got to compete at us indoors. You got to compete indoors and you got to promote yourself and you got to work extra hard and you've got to take care of your body yourself because no one cares about you and who you are. Like, and you're the only person other than your family. You're it. So if you wanna, if you wanna complain about it, then do something. And that that's the thing I think, like with Justin and me and Dylan when we when we trained in Canada, like, and Jesse and that that whole group. That, that those years was incredible because you know I moved what 48 hours away for, from a drive. It was 3,000 miles from my parents' house, and I was working till three in the morning, then delivering papers from four to six, then taking a nap and then going to train. And I still, you know, hit a PR that year. And it's like, cause I dealt with it. I dealt with a stressful situation. So I just think like, there's a lot of these post-collegiate guys that they're not ready. They don't put that into perspective. They need to sit there and be like, look, like when I'm done, this isn't going to be here. And what am I going to do when it, that support isn't there? They need to prepare and they need to acknowledge that it's going to, it's going to be different and have a mechanism in place so that it's a little bit easier and it's a little bit more comfortable of a transition if they actually want to become, you know, a champion thrower. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, and I can even relate that, you know, ide- ideology back to myself in recent months. You know, um, basically, I've been training on my own the last like two two months, and I don't really train. I don't have really a training partner. Unfortunately, Myra and I schedules don't line up too often. Um, But I've honestly found it more rewarding and recently found it, um, I almost found like a more passion for the sport that I haven't had in a while because I've had to do it on my own. I've had to plan my own lifting sessions when I can go to lift. Um, I have to travel in between 20 to 30 minutes between a shot circle because there might be a shot circle in the area that I can't use. And I have to figure out when I can do these things. But when I find out when I'm able to do it, and I get those sessions in, and, I'm start, and I get quality results not only because I'm just throwing, but I have to work on the technique, I have to send video. Like, that whole process over the over the course of two months has kind of, like, made me appreciate the fact that I'm able to even do the sport. And right. I wonder if, like, that maybe gets lost on people. Because the way I see it, like, I only have probably – Less than ten more years for for me to continue the sport, whether I'm successful or not at a national international level, I don't know. Um, but I, I put I see it that way that the I, people have such a limited amount of time to be athletes, you know, and right. also be independent from like you know where you don't have to take care of a family where you can be on your own and you can make your own decisions and do things when you want to do them. And I almost wonder if that gets lost on people that. Like there's an appreciation that people just don't have. Yeah, I, I, I mean, absolutely. I think it's
2: just and, and dude, training by yourself, I think, is a very, very fast way to learn. Do you really want to do this or not? Because it's yeah. just, it, it's it, it's a way to hold yourself accountable and see if you value it as much as you think you do. So it's it's one of those things that I I, I really believe. And maybe you don't you don't even you know what I, what I'll do sometimes what I think is cool is that when I leave, if I go on a trip, like I was in Tokyo for uh, what, 11 days and I, I'll tell my throwers, Rachel and Sam at the time, you know, look, this is what I expect when I'm gone. I want a video every day. I want this. And the thing is, is like, they still like that. That's, that's big. That's learning. Like, okay, I'm still going to show up on time. I'm still going to do my work prior to the, to to the throwing session to prepare and then get optimal, you know, results, and and they're going to hold themselves accountable, and I think that that's, that's a huge part, And and I, not that I want to keep coming back to myself, but I, I remember, you know, I didn't throw 60 feet, and I know that that's such a pathetic mark in, you know, today's throwing world where 1830 is cake for everybody, um, but. I throw sixty feet, and I sat there after not throwing for three years. My wife just told me she was pregnant, and I'm like, "Dude, I gotta throw sixty feet! Like, I can't go the rest of my life and tell people that I didn't throw sixty feet." And it's like, what did I do? I would wake up early. I would do some mobility work at my house. I would get warmed up. I would get my you know my son would be awake, and he'd be playing with me when he was nine to ten months old, and my wife was pumping and and getting her breast milk ready so that I could. Feed him throughout that morning, and I would time it so that I could get to the shot circle. And I would make the car super hot in the morning, and I would uncover the circle. But the car would be super hot, so that Lincoln would fall asleep in the back seat, and I would have 35 minutes to get in as many throws as I could. And what did that do, dude? That's not an optimal situation. Mm-hmm. But what's funny is that I pr by what 40 centimeters that year. And it's like, okay, so I took that optimal or that poor situation. And I valued the fact that I still had time to throw. I still had time to, to get work done. I still had time to, like, prepare myself and get it, and make it work and make it work with my family and still PR. And that's where it's like, dude, but why was that? It was because I was more motivated and I and I, valued, I had a different value on the sport. I had a different outlook on the sport. And I wanted to take advantage of the minimal time that I had left to do that. And that's where these guys, that they, you know, they, they go and they train with a world-class coach. And then they want to sit there and cry about how, oh, my facilities weren't as good. Like, oh, sorry that you weren't at like a, that you were at a multi-million-dollar facility and you still weren't that good of a situation. Like, sorry that you know somebody wasn't rubbing your feet before you could warm up or giving you a ventilator you know beforehand so that you could actually breathe properly. Like, Get out of here with that stuff, dude. It's like everybody's got to deal with crap, like everybody. And and you want to make that entitled baby excuse and it's like think think about people in in different work in different countries like dude i was in malaysia and and these guys are training like they have some of the best cyclists in the world that like malaysia does like they have one of the best cyclists in the world and the peloton the, the peloton the um, velodrome was right next to where our, the weightlifting center was and dude it was run down it was complete crap and this guy's like, like an olympic bronze medalist like dude But he makes the best out of it. He trains his ass off and he doesn't complain because that's what he has. That's all he knows. And if you look at it from that perspective, it's one of those things where it's like, just shut up. Stop feeling like an entitled baby. Do your work. And if you have real goals to become a champion, then you keep working towards those goals and you value the time that you have in the sport. You don't sit there and cry about every little thing that you can think of. You try and be positive about all the little
0: things that you can think of.
1: Yeah, and that's what I like about, you know, taking it back to you shifting into your new facility. What I remember about, you know, training with you and the facility that, that I had when I was training there in high school is completely different than the facility you have now. Uh, obviously, you've made s- extreme upgrades for the athletes you have now. And what I can say is, I was able to carry, you know, the fact that you only had maybe two Olympic platforms, you had a platform that used to be in the old part of the barn that we can no longer use because so many weights were dropped on that wooden floor that they made a giant hole through the floor, and we like we had to share those platforms with weightlifters and stuff like that. Um, Evan Arnott and I, and we also had to throw in the snow. We had to throw in heavy rain. You know, we had to. You know, there would be days where it'd be two feet of snow. You throw the shot, it gets lost for three weeks. You know. Yeah. I yep. almost wonder if, like... Um, that it, one shot was lost longer than that, dude. That was, like... I think we found that one, like, six months later. Yeah, it was, like, a light shot, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah. I. The thing is, is, like... But it's because you kind of went through that grind and the athletes that you've had that have stuck with you that whole time, you know, that now when they get this new facility, they hold a greater appreciation for it. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and and to go with that is like... I think, you know, even
2: Sam, like, some people will say, and people were even saying this crap last year, like, because um, now we're, we have to throw into a net, and then we go to throw for distance twice a week. Like, oh, you're throwing into a net. And, dude, Sam complains about it, Noah complains about it, and they'll, they'll whine, but then at the same time, they're like, dude, it's actually cool because, like, we can get a lot of throws in, we don't have to walk as far, and we can have specific technical days, and then we can have specific meathead days, and it's actually positive. Like, that's yeah. taking a negative and turning it into a positive, and I think that that's... You know, one of those things, too, where, you know, people, oh, well, you can't you can't train out in the snow. It's not optimal situations for someone to become an elite shot putter. Okay, well, we'll see this year. We'll, you know, mm-hmm. see after this year where where Rachel's at and if throwing in the snow is positive or not, because you're going to see. And it's like, it just blows me away that people constantly judge everybody else and they constantly speak negatively of other situations and they don't see that, you know, if, if you just take the situation that you have and, and think happy thoughts, <laughs> like you can you can turn it into a positive and you can get a positive result from it as long as you're around the right people and you're doing the right things.
1: Yeah. What, what's funny about it um, is, so I've trained at a few different indoor facilities, um, you know, one of them being K-State, you know, which as far as a throwing facility, like probably one of the best you could have. We had a cement ring indoors. We had a 24, 25-meter sector. You know, like, you, you couldn't ask for anything better as, like, a shop putter indoors. I, even now, and when I was training, like, indoors um, at, at my current school, like, I almost miss when I had, when I, when I could, like, training outdoors under the elements. Because I yeah. feel like there's, like, um, a thrill to it, you know? Like... Being like having to push yourself past limits of like your body being freezing cold, you know you're you know you have three layers of sweatshirts on, three layers of sweatpants, you have two sock two pairs of socks on, and like there's almost like a, a an excitement that like goes through my body when I'm having to deal with those elements because you're like, dude, this is really hard shit, and I need to push myself through this. Well, uh, and and here's the other thing, yeah. it,
2: it's applied like. People people whine about it, and you sit there. and, and I, I did like a, a little mini vlog on my on my Instagram. I think on my Ghostface account. And I I did this little mini vlog where we went outside, and it was just it was just pissing rain. And yeah. here here's the thing. What do we do? I called out Sam because I was like, "Yo, Sam, where when else was the rain this bad? Oh, the 2016 Olympic trials. Like, sorry, <laughs> that was pouring rain." And they probably should have stopped the discus comp, but they didn't. No. So it's
0: like, okay, how do you prepare? You train in it. You train in the rain. Okay, what what else is it going to be applied? Oh, 2017 World Championships
2: for Women's shot. If you mm-hmm. look at pictures like uh, Michelle Carter had a picture of, and it's just it looks like the rain is coming down so thick, it's like a blanket of rain in front of the in front of her about to throw. And it's like she had to compete. Like these these women had to compete in these poor elements. And that's the thing, it's it's applied, and we went to the States last year. It was raining for Baden, but she PR'd in the rain because we had prepared that way. And that's the thing, yeah. like, it, there is a thrill because you're sitting there going, wow, there's a lot of people inside right now not, not doing this. Yeah. There's a lot of people, you know, questioning whether they want to be in the sport. And then you're
0: sitting there going, dude, this is awesome because I value this sport and this activity
2: and this time that I have so much. That I don't give a rat's ass that it's it's uncomfortable outside. Yeah. I'm gonna make myself uncomfortable so that I can make improvements and I can become a better thrower for it.
1: Yeah, it it, it gets lost on me, but it, it's going back to like one of my favorite things, like that are, is like why working with Justin and making a transition from you to him was so easy is because like you guys have that similar thought process. And it's like, say, like you're in a you're you're in a like a sunken in shot ring or discus ring. If there's water in the ring, he's like, leave it in. Like, yeah. like you leave it in. You never know when it's gonna happen. Like when um, you're gonna have to train like that. And like it's that ideology of like you you push yourself, you deal with the elements. It's like if you can perform in you know a situation like that, or even just like. Um, not not even, like, almost get to a point where you're not even thinking about it. Like, that's easily yeah. going to translate to any competition. Absolutely. And it's like, when, um, it's kind of what you said about the Women's World Championships. I, I know there's, like, a, a a video of this Jamaican girl who threw for Kent State. And, like, the water is, like, coming out of the ring. Like, it's literally overflowing in the ring when she's throwing. And she threw, like, the second or third farthest throw of her life. And I can't remember if she meddled or not, but she threw almost like nineteen meters. Fit. Like you know, that's preparation. I'm willing to bet, like um, Coach Fanger got her ready for, is and, and that's why I think like shows the difference between like. It, but you also got to think she threw. She's from Jamaica. Like, what do you think the facilities are like there for her? Like well, you know, training and, and in Jamaica. And go back to the original discussion is. What does football? What do, what do football players do when it's snowing, dude? They play their games. Like, what, yeah. do, what do wrestlers do when it's snowing outside? And they've got to try and lose weight, or they need to uphold their conditioning. They go out, and they run hills. Like, sorry, that's what every other sport's doing. Like, grow up, stop being immature, and deal with it. Yeah, I think like uh, something you hit on earlier that, uh, that I really want to discuss because it kind of hits close to like what Myra and I are doing with Rose Chat and our website is like. Just the idea of trying to promote yourself as an athlete, you know, getting your own brand out there because Uh no one's going to do it for you. Like, what do you think? Because, you know, to be honest, my personal preference is, like, I think uh, CrossFit and that bro culture, I'm not the biggest fan of it. But I can't deny that what it's done for weightlifting in terms of getting athletes to want to promote themselves and get their brand out there you know, can't be understated because it's ma- it's making people money. But I feel like because weightlifting doesn't have, like, those shoe sponsorships and, like, those sponsorships that everybody wants in the track world, they have to do that. They have to seek out smaller businesses, apparel companies, and promote themselves, their social media, or even doing something creative by making their own shirts. Like, I feel like that's getting lost in the track community. And Yeah, I, I, and yeah. I would even go as far
2: with that, like, CrossFit had a big impact on it, but I actually think it all started with Cal Strength and their YouTube channel. Um, okay. I think Cal Strength and their YouTube channel really, really brought people in and made people realize, like, wow, this is fun to watch. Like, it's fun to see people train. It's it's fun to see characters. It's fun to see this environment, and I want to create that myself. And I, well, not, you know, I, I do want to create that myself, but people see that when they're consuming it. At least they think they want to. Um, and I think that you're absolutely right. And that's one thing that I, I did want to bring up is that I think like real throwers unite is like those, those types of accounts are really, really cool accounts because they show like, um, historical throws and stuff like that. And one thing I really like about what you guys are doing with throws chat is that you're doing stuff like that. And then you're doing stuff with like the modern throwers and you're making like really fun, interactive, like Cool, almost bud, speedy. Like I don't, I don't want to offend you <laughs> in that,
1: but it, it's like hey, you gotta start somewhere. a lot of people, like the thing you guys did with Krauser
2: with with the the hand thing, like dude, we do that all the time here at the gym. And the fact that you guys like put that up and made that little poll, like that's a really really creative way to draw people into throwing and then to remember, like yo, remember when Krauser did that and I fell for it. Oh yeah, I'm gonna click this on the poll. And like that's cool shit like dude that's stuff that draws people in and then at the same time hitting them with like hey you know what is what do you think that this guy can do or what do you think that guy can do in a throw or whatever you know whatever it is but it's being creative yeah. and, it's, and it's putting out really cool content that a lot of people will value and I think that that is the big factor is that everybody wants that shoe deal and it's so pathetic it's so freaking sad that like Everybody's like, the throwing world is – and and this is, you know, not to get on a high horse here, but, like, my goal is, one, to completely educate the throwing world on, like, positive modes of training and uh, sound technique and stuff like that. But also, I want to try and change that attitude of the throwing world because I sit there and I see weightlifting and I see wrestling and I see how these – typically non-revenue sports are still being successful. And the thing
0: is, everybody's like, oh, USATF sucks. USATF sucks. The NCAA sucks. Well, yeah, they suck. They're terrible,
1: dude. They're horrible. (laughs) But what are you doing to make it better? And that's the thing. is, like, if you
2: look at, if you use these other sports as examples, what did they do? Okay, well, they, you know, they had this business guy who did this, or they had this coach who did that, and then they tried, you know, they started to promote themselves. They started to be creative. This guy hustled his ass off. And, They created their own system, and he was super successful. And then what happened? Oh, you know, using Cal Strength as a good example, dude. Dave Spitz created his own system. He funds his own athletes, and he and and what ended up happening? He funds his own athletes from like 2009, 2010 on. And then what happens? USAW, seven years later, now 2017, funds the shit out of their athletes. And maybe that'll end up happening with USATF. Maybe. Maybe I can sit here or or anybody, any other good coach can sit there who's also a good business person and be like, yo, I'm making good money online. Like, I'm I'm trying to really do a good job and provide a very good product, a very good service for the online community to learn from and to be educated from. And we're going to fund our guys. And then maybe when the USATF looks in five or ten years and and half the the throwing team is, is from this specific camp, like well, maybe we should change the way we set up our
1: funding. Like, maybe we yeah. should do that. And, and maybe maybe that's me being naive and just having this, like,
2: super, um, I don't know, like, just, I guess, like, utopian view of how it can change, but it can change that way. And if it doesn't change, and... and And I'm, let's say I set it up that way and and I can fund my athletes the way I want to fund them, like whatever, if I can do that and I can still get my athletes to have the results, like, so be it. Then I'll just be the only guy or or maybe it'll be like me and Justin or something. I don't know. But it's one of those things where it's like, if we can, if we can teach, you know, and this is where I got to give coaches like uh, Lucas McKay at Penn State, a a huge tip of my hat is that Lucas came to me and he said, what can we do for his javelin thrower?" What can we do to improve this situation? How can we make it the NASCAR-type sponsorship deals? And I said to him, listen, this is this is me speaking from as an owner of Earthfed Muscle. This is how it happens. This is how we go about everything. This is what we want to see. This is what we want to see on social media. This is what, what we want to see with training, and this is what we want to see as far as interaction – in his comment section and blah blah blah, all that stuff. Yeah. And what is he doing? He's teaching his kid how to do that. The, the yeah. javelin throw, I forget his name. Um and it and I mean Nick Farr did the same thing with Alex Young. Mm-hmm. Hey, what 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 does this take? And it's like they're they're not sitting there and going, Oh boo hoo, Nike didn't sponsor me. Oh boo hoo, Adidas doesn't care. They're like wow wow, I'm gonna cry about everything. No, they're be like, all right, if they don't care about me, I'm gonna figure it out. We're gonna make it work. We're gonna improve the situation. And that's where throwing as a sport, it's like, we're all a bunch of Eeyores, just walk, walking around like, oh, <laughs> home.
0: I'm going to whine and complain, and I'm not going to do anything to make it better. And that that's the attitude that I want to try and change. Like, I want
2: the attitude of wrestling to, to carry over to the throwing. I want the attitude of, of you know, Olympic weightlifting to carry over. And, and I think that, I don't know, I'm trying to do that, and it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's funny because, like, at USA's, Mo gets fourth at USA's, and there was, there was two big-time coaches that didn't want to shake my
0: hand after Mo got fourth at USA's. Why? I don't. Maybe because I was loud. Maybe because I was happy that she pr. Maybe I was happy that she's the underdog
2: and nobody, you know, nobody valued her. Or maybe they're, maybe they're mad that I had been promoting her and she had been promoting herself and I had hooked her up with BFM and, and she and I had been working really well together and we proved to be successful. Like, yeah. And they're just jealous. Like maybe that's it. I don't know, but it's like I want to change that. That attitude shouldn't be there. That should, that stuff should stop because it's all about. Progressing the sport and progressing people like Mo that are, dude, they're the underdogs times 10. Like, and, and if we can get, if Mo can do what she did last year with a little bit of support, just a little bit. Imagine somebody who who is at Sam's level with a little more support. Like these, that's, that's the thing that everybody's losing, that, that the throwing world's losing out on by, by being that ho-hum, I'm going to complain and not do anything. No, change that attitude. Embrace other sports and their attitudes and learn from what they're doing and try and make that more productive and more positive. And I think going back, you know, using using um, channels like throat, like you guys with Throws chat, that's that's where it's at. Like, that's where it, it, you can you can attract other people and you can get them to understand, like what it takes to get to the top. They see what it takes to get there because they, they see your posts. But then they also learn, like, okay, this is a long-term endeavor. This is a long-term buy-in, and this is what it takes. And that's, it's educating that community that this isn't easy, but it still can be done, and we can make it better by doing X, Y, and Z. And it's, that's, that's where I do think that throwing does
0: absolutely need to, needs to step it up. All right, that wraps up part one of the fifth episode of the Throws Chat Podcast. Now, coming up on December 16th and 17th is the Grand Valley State University Big Throws Clinic. Jason, tell us a little bit about what throwers can expect from the clinic.
1: Throwers can expect from the clinic, uh, three of the best throws coaches in the United States and Dane Miller from Garage Strength, Justin Rohde of Rohde Sport, and Sean Denard, who's also the coach at Grand Valley State. There'll be classroom lectures, learn by doing sessions, and a weightlifting seminar hosted by Dane Miller. We'll also be hosting three throws competitions, one of which is a first ever indoor whammer competition, an over underweight shot put competition and the third annual Indoor U.S. National Discus Championship where over five
0: 60-meter discus throwers shall be competing. Throwers who register for the GVSU Big Throws Clinic under the referral code Rody sport will receive a free four-week special strength program designed for shot and discus throwers. Along with that, Rody Sport will be offering huge discounts on shot put gloves, lifting straps, apparel, and wrist wraps. For more information, Visit ThrowsChat.com and click on the Throws Clinic tab.